Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Westwood One presents The Pollsters. The Pollsters. And now, Margie and Kristen. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we've gotten lots of feedback that people like kind of non-Trumpy things. So we got some more non-Trumpy things. Although every week we say we're going to do that and we kind of fail. We got some other feedback this week. Yeah. People who didn't like our candy. Who did not. We uh, Twitter user OGVHS at OGVHS. Oh, right. And he likes tapes. I'm assuming it's a he. Strong opposition to our segment condemning peeps right according to ogvhs <laughs> real americans love peeps this this person does not have very positive opinion of our, why don't you take your beloved cadbury cream eggs and throw them in the garbage can where that melty defecation confection belongs so he, That's a horrifying he agrees visual. with me but about he agrees can't. with you about cadbury cream eggs and then had very strong opinions about jelly beans that apparently that the licorice ones are okay to throw out but and I'm quoting what about the light purple ones <laughs> this so, all drove him to unsubscribe I am unsubscribing <laughs> from your podcast it was good luck my ladies favorite he tweeted thing I saw on the internet all week because good luck I'm ladies not, I'm not convinced it's real I mean I, it's I think it's a real person and they may well have unsubscribed from the podcast but I I believe this is intended to be funny. I mean, I hope so. I mean, look, we talk about some I mean, we talk about Syria, Trump, religion, you know, <laughs> money. How dare you? And How dare you drag the name of light purple jelly beans through the mud, Margie? And we uh, and oh. we only have like two like we have really great ratings and reviews. We love all you guys who've left us such wonderful ratings and reviews. We don't have folks who are like, I don't, you know, I don't like their opinions on X, Y, and Z. We don't have any, we have very little of that for you a political so show. Nice. But this was finally, finally we made someone very angry. <laughs> it was about candy. So we're going to try harder now to um, to find some other topics for people to get upset about that are not about Trump. So, so before we move on, though, I have to play this clip. So I've mentioned on the show before that Margie and I went on the O'Reilly Factor together like four and a half, five years ago. Our very first joint hit. I think, is that, is it? I our, think so, yeah. Wow. Um, and it's, uh, it's a funny look back through time. I've got like this long hair. I'm just like so excited to be there. Like I've got this huge <laughs> smile on my face the whole time. You're very but excited to be at Live Shots. I am very <laughs> excited to be. They're gonna. It's at Live Shots in DC. They're yes. about to give me a big old bag of candy yes. when I walk out the door. Yes. 
maybe it'll have jelly beans in it. I don't know. No, but uh, this. So I, in light of this week's news regarding uh, Bill O'Reilly's departure from Fox, the fact that Margie and I were first hit together was on this show reminded me of uh, this clip, and I have to play this like fifteen seconds yeah. of it because it is, it is a a delight. Because we have we're in a very divided political environment right now. But I do want to I do want to address the issue of challenge undecided is breaking into the challenger because there's been some research. I know Nate Silver wrote about this uh, recently at his blog about he studied this and, and showed Who that that's less true than it used to be. Who? Nate Silver. Nate Silver. Nate um, Silver. I don't know, mm-hmm. Nate. Does he have a website like Morris? I don't know, Nate. <laughs> You can say Rudy Kazuti. So I think. Okay. So first of all, we will now forever on this show. Nate Silver is now Rudy Kazuti. Does he have a website? Like Dick Morris? Does he have a website? I can watch this clip. I'm gonna watch this clip every morning for the rest of my life, and it's gonna put a smile on my face. I mean, he was he was right to say, "Don't be bringing your you know insidery nerd talk to my show." Right? I guess is what he was saying, and maybe he just had no idea what I was talking about. I, I actually <laughs> think that's what happened. I think he thought that you were you were making an appeal to an authority that he did not think was a real authority. That he thought was just an internet troll. And my face is like, like <laughs> completely <laughs> stunned. Like what? Like uh, but, I did not prep for this. You know, but because for this part. But bear in mind, Margie and I moderate focus groups all the time, and that requires you to build up a really excellent poker face, and so. We were, but that was working overtime in that segment. Because the whole time this is going on, I'm just there in the other little third of the screen with this like, "What's happening?" smile on my face. So we will post the link in show notes. But uh, so that that was sort of the the. I mean, we talk about the pollsters being born out of us to- going on NPR to do the State of the Union uh, two years ago. But in a way. <laughs> That was sort of the first episode of the Pulse. That's right. That's right. Back. That's right. Because I mean, it's funny because even saying like, "Well, we are in a very divided political climate right now," and you know, let's see how undecided break is something that you could, you know, say about the 2016 election as opposed to what I guess that was 2012. Yeah, I I don't think that there's anything we said in there that was analytically wrong. I mean, no. I in, see. I actually am more cringe watching the clip because. As the Republican, I'm like a little more bullish on Romney's chances. And I, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, I, although Bill in the segment keeps pestering us, like, do we, like, Joe Biden had said something that was like construed as offensive. And was that going to like change the race? Oh, God, that, that question. That the answer is always change no. the race. And I'm like, <laughs> um, I don't think so. I, I unfortunately don't think voters are paying that much attention to the news all the time. I think this is going to come down to the economy, but like that was just not a satisfying answer. And at this point, I think they had just – Paul Ryan had just been chosen. Right. Like, he must have just been chosen right. based on – and so I'm sort of like, well – he's like, oh, well, will this – will the people vote based on who the vice president is? And I'm like, well, it'll depend on what Paul Ryan brings to the ticket. So it's like this weird – it's a very odd leap back in time to a point in time in the 2012 election when Republicans still thought they had a chance to win and – a simpler time a simpler when Kristen time. was Kristen Soltis. I was and Kristen Soltis. Nate I had Silver long was just hair. Some, was just Rudy Kazuti. Rudy Kazuti. <laughs> and we were we were divided and you know just thinking about Romney versus Obama and not all the other things we have on our minds today. Anyway, so 
Back to t- reality. This week's top line. Georgia. Georgia. The whole day through. We've got Georgia on our mind here at the pollsters. We'll talk about the polling fallout from the special election down in Georgia that was held this week. We'll also talk a little bit about whether voters are angry at the parties. Surprise, surprise. They are. But you might be surprised at which issues voters trust the various parties on more. Did you file your taxes this week? We're going to talk about the pain that America is feeling when they file, but also who they think isn't feeling enough pain when they file their taxes. Uh, Sacre bleu, it's the French election. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on on the other side of the Atlantic. And this show is fast and furious. Self-driving cars, are they the future? We're going to talk a little bit about the latest Fast and Furious movie's villain, the self-driving autonomous vehicle, and whether people feel comfortable with them or not. Um, But first, our poll of the week, or polls of the week, um, it is, we are recording this show on April 20th, which is a very sacred holiday for the weed community, Um, and to celebrate pretty much every outlet has released some marijuana polling. There's just tons out going out today. I mean, every time we turned around, there was another poll being released. So we're going to do a little roundup of all the latest polling on marijuana. I'm a little disappointed. All of these charts look to be serious and legitimate instead of that one from a few (laughs) weeks ago where the pie chart like didn't add up to 100. It didn't make any sense. When did you last smoke weed? 1999, 45%. Or three seconds ago. Three seconds ago. Uh, These all appear to be like serious and rigorously done. Yes. Yes. uh, Including one from uh, my my colleague Jason here at PSB did one um, that is in uh, was conducted in Canada and the United States that showed the usage of cannabis to be low, lower than support for legalization of cannabis, which is actually quite high. One fifth say they use it, but four and five support legalizing it. Um, there was also some polling. This was from Yahoo News and Marist uh, asking about. Um, uh, health risks using a doctor's prescription of marijuana for pain or using a doctor's prescription of an opioid such as Vicodin or Oxycontin for pain. This is a little bit more specific, a little bit less freewheeling of a topic. And um, there they found very clearly two-thirds um, said it was more of a health risk to use uh, opioid as opposed to marijuana. Yeah, which uh, this fascinates me, but I think is also – I think we can say this is good news because, it, well, we know that there right now is this opioid ec- epidemic that is taking hold across the country and is causing huge problems. And so in a weird way, I was also worried that this result was going to come back with, like, big partisan differences, uh, you know, conservatives not wanting the, those crazy kids in their pot smoking. But actually, even among conservative and very conservative respondents, only 24 percent say smoking pot is more dangerous if prescribed by a doctor versus 59 percent saying – Vicodin and opioid pain pills uh, are more dangerous, even if prescribed by a doctor. So, and, and I think it's good too. In this question, both are specified as this is something a doctor has prescribed. Right. So it's not like recreational drug. I mean, this is right. a doctor's prescribed. Right. Right. And then there's another question, and this is a WBUR. Um, which of the following substances would you say is most harmful to a person's overall health? And there, tobacco is at the top of the list, and the list is tobacco, alcohol, marijuana, or sugar. So tobacco at 42%, alcohol at 19%, sugar at 13%, marijuana all the way at the bottom at 4%, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. Interesting list, um, I guess, of like things that are 
accessible, perhaps. Um, it's not like sort of everything in the world that you, you would use. Um, and then CBS News poll that was released today showed, you know, six in 10 roughly say marijuana should be legal even more if you're talking about medical marijuana, um, almost 90 percent. Um, and then uh, they asked a follow-up question, legalizing marijuana use, would it increase violent crime or decrease violent crime or have no effect um, among all Americans? About half say it wouldn't have an effect. Another fifth say it would decrease violent crime and about a you know, fifth to a quarter say it would increase violent crime. So pretty good news on the marijuana front, basically. I mean, it's the kind of it's, – it's interesting – to me as an issue, if you look at it from a public opinion perspective, we haven't had this like national drag out fight on marijuana. It's just slowly, you know, like a creeper, creeper weed <laughs> that went from being like an issue that no one would want to talk about. I remember doing a presentation um, years ago where I said, hey, views on legalization of marijuana have just, you know, are really changing very quickly over the last couple decades. Like, hey, this is a thing we can talk about for, you know, uh, like this is an issue that seems to have some movement. And it was it, it was seen as like a controversial thing to say, even though it was just like a, a slot, you know, a chart you can find online. I mean, it's not, you know, it was very clear that this was happening. Um, and then people who even, you know, were trying to work for it were kind of seen as sort of on the fringes of the left. Now it's, you know, big corporate interest and, um, and you know, pretty widespread popular opinion. Yeah. And I, when I was writing The Selfie Vote, my book on millennials that you can buy at places where fine books are sold, I think mostly <laughs> that's Amazon.com these days, uh, one of the big things that was interesting about young people's attitudes on marijuana was that uh, when it came to things like binge drinking, hard drugs, smoking, what have you, these are all things that millennials <clears throat> were doing less than older generations had when they were young. That like is actually a fairly – Puritan's not the right word, but like, you know, they weren't – Going out and doing all of the stuff that older people would like shake their fingers at and say, ah, these crazy kids. Um, And part of that was because they thought that drinking, smoking and um, hard drugs were really bad for you, whereas they just really didn't think pot was bad for you, that pot was like – any other kind of aromatherapy, like thing, you know, I mean, that it's just not that it wasn't a health risk, mm-hmm. and so for them, then that made it fall into the well, it's not hurting anyone category, and so therefore, why wouldn't it be? Legal? Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting that it's you know how bipartisan this is. I mean, it's almost. I mean, maybe if uh, Kendall Jenner had handed cops a. Oh, gosh. <laughs> a that joint. would end a very different way. <laughs> then maybe people have found that a little bit more unifying. There is, you know, some hope in bipartisan. Uh, can, can folks of different parties come together around the unifying hearth of, you know, the fiery hearth of marijuana, I guess, um, since it's so um, so popular and, you know, has seen, seems to have pretty widespread support in terms of legalization. Anyway, that is your 420 roundup. <laughs> so before Very special we, holiday. Before we move into the meat of our show, we have a brief word from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? If you post your job in one place, it isn't enough to find quality candidates. So if you want to get the perfect hire, you need to post your job on 
on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free if you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. And one more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. Check it out and uh, hope that those of you who are looking to hire folks um, have good luck by using ZipRecruiter. So back to the big news this week, which is the special election in Georgia. And people have been going kind of bonkers following these special elections, and understandably so, because they, you know, whether it's whether it's predictive or not, there are always exceptions to these. They are ways to gauge excitement about the election, about politics, the democratic enthusiasm that we've been seeing in other polling. And is it, can you see it in the Georgia uh, special? And, um, you know, I think the first main winner from the Georgia special are the pollsters because the pollsters, I think, really called this right. I mean, he, you know, Ossoff, the Democratic candidate in a very large field that had many Republican candidates, was always seen to be under 50. And in fact, he ended up at 48. And the polls suggested that he was not going to break 50. He could have, but it, it, that wasn't really quite where he was. And he needed to break 50 in order to avoid a runoff. There will now be a runoff in June. But I think the fact that the polls so consistently, if you look at the Huffington Post average, there was a lot of public polling. Specials like this are very difficult to poll because turnout is difficult to capture. You had early voting which also makes things challenging. Despite all that, the polling was very consistent and seemed to point to exactly where it ended up, which is also just under 50 and Handel, Karen Handel, as the top tier Republican vote getter. And a point that uh, my echelon partner Patrick made was that some of the talk about like, well, did Ossoff, did he exceed the expectations from the polls. And Patrick was kind of pointing out on Twitter that, well, you have to allocate the undecideds. Like 4% of people didn't show up at the polls and check a box for someone named undecided. So, you know, when you allocate those out where they probably went, okay, then it's it starts to make things make a little more sense. The polls are not off by some huge margin. So this, I, I think, good job, pollsters. Sometimes we still get them right. That's right. <laughs> so if you're out there, folks, pollster friends who listen to the show and people are like, well, the polls are all wrong. How can I believe anything any pollster ever says? I, when I look at a poll, I just think that the opposite's true and so on and so forth. You can point to the special election as a proof point that that's actually when, not true. When polls are well done, they can still work. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, um, but we'll see what happens in June and we'll see that I'm sure they'll be polling before the runoff. And runoffs are even more tricky. I mean, these smaller, the reason they're tricky, folks, is because just you, you, there's such lower turnout. You don't have as, as good information on the voter file that's comparable to figure out how do you predict who's going to vote. Plus you have these uh, you know, surges in enthusiasm and vote propensity. If you have Democrats who are really excited or if you have Republicans who are really excited, can you capture that properly? Can you figure out the right way to use enthusiasm to predict who's going to turn out 
All of that, it makes it all very challenging. And then people want to do a poll that's affordable, so they don't want to make it so hard to be in your sample that the poll becomes uh, cost prohibitive. But if you didn't, you know, but maybe that's actually what you need to do in, methodologically in order to make sure you're reaching these hard to reach, low turnout uh, voters. So anyway, but so far, so good, pollsters. Good job. Well, and we'll have another opportunity to check back in with Georgia about two months from now when the runoff happens. So stay tuned. So up next, we'll talk just briefly about what's going on with uh, President Trump and his approval rating. Uh, currently, Huffington Post poll average as of press time, disapprove at 51.1 percent, approve at 43.5 percent. Way to go. That's an improvement. <clears throat> that is an improvement for President Trump. Uh, just a, a teeny improvement. Again, these these lines have not moved dramatically since he took office, but this is better than it was a week or two ago. So Gallup's done a poll where they are taking a look at uh, where voters think Trump stands on various key characteristics. And back right after the inauguration in early February, Gallup found 62 percent of Americans thought Trump keeps his promises. Fifty nine percent thought he's a strong and decisive leader. Fifty three percent said he can bring about the changes the country needs. Forty two percent back then thought he was honest and trustworthy and on and on. Um, The biggest drop offs for him in characteristics have come from those first three, where now on the question of does Donald Trump keep his promises, only 45 percent say yes compared to 62 percent two months ago. On the question of is he a strong and decisive leader, that number has fallen off by seven points. He's now at 52 percent. And on the question can he bring about the changes the country needs, he's at 46 percent down seven. So he has slid on some of these key metrics that even folks who didn't like him may have said, well, but he keeps his promises. Yeah, but he's going to bring about change. Right. And even and Gallup shows um, demographic breakouts, even Republicans, he's slipped on keeps his promises. Obviously, he slipped more among Democrats um, and Republicans give him higher ratings to begin with, of course, but he still slipped across the board. Now, What's interesting is around the same time, we did our monthly poll where we looked at how Trump was doing relative to expectations, and we found he dropped on the same dimension. So this is really, you know, this seems to be kind of a thing. So we asked, again, we've talked about this before, how's he doing relative to expectations? Is he doing this more than you expected, less than you expected, about how you expected? And we asked things like going too far, getting sidetracked by things that aren't important, causing our country harm, getting things done. Unifying the country, making America great, keeping promises, et cetera. And he draining the swamp. Some of it's using his own language. And the biggest drop, he's basically not very, you know, the numbers are similar from where they were in our last poll. But there's been some drop with voters overall and with Trump voters, with his own voters, on keeping promises and on getting things done. So that's where now more people say – uh, he's doing that less than expected than more than expected. That's with people overall, whether it's keeping promises or getting things done. And that's the third month in a row that there's been some drop. So that's just a continued trend line. And even with Trump's own voters, again, they're going to give him stronger ratings uh, than than people overall. But he's had a 20-point drop on keeping promises more than expected since February. So that is very much consistent with the Gallup poll tracking as well. But Donald Trump's not the only one who's seeing his numbers slide. Uh, We've also got some fresh data from the Pew Research Center about how people view the parties. Now, we have talked over and over and over again on the show about how people don't really like uh, the various political parties, but there have been some shifts even in just the last year 
on people's attitudes uh, about um, about the parties. So Republicans, for instance, uh, shortly around the uh, the time of Trump's inauguration, I think the last time that Pew asked this question, the Republican Party's fave on fave was almost even. Um, that after years of Republicans having been viewed much more unfavorably than favorably, that gap had closed. Um, but it seems as though that was very short-lived. The gap has reopened up with Republicans being viewed unfavorably by 57 percent of voters, only favorably by 40 percent, which is not as good as Democrats, although Democrats are still viewed 51 percent unfavorable, 45 percent unfavorable. But you'd rather be minus six than be minus 17. Yeah. So, so we're back again to being less unpopular. <laughs> yes. And and these numbers, I'm trying to take a look at what the polling looked like in 2006, because that was the last time you had a midterm election that was a really big wave for the Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we're looking to figure out what's going to happen next November, is there a Democratic wave coming? Can we begin to see way offshore that the wave is approaching? If you suddenly started to see fave on faves look like they did right before uh, that that chaos, that, that would be a sign. Uh, right now, the Republican brand is worse than it was back during um, that 2006 right. wave. Right. You saw Republicans who were favorable for a while in the early 2000s just take a, a nosedive. Um, but so did Democrats, too. And, you know, being in mm-hmm. a contentious election is always painful. Sure. You, you pay a price in your favorability regardless. Here's here's the number out of this Pew survey, though, that had be just like floored. And it was a question where it's it's typical for pollsters to ask, which party do you trust more to handle certain issues? And so Republicans for a long time have been trusted on sort of national security type stuff, te- you know, dealing with terrorism. Republicans pew fines are plus 12. Economy, trade and taxes. Republicans are up, up by very narrow margins, R plus three, R plus one. On the question of which party could do a better job dealing with government spending, Democrats win by eight. Yeah. Republicans are not considered the best party to deal with government spending. So if you dig deep in the Pew report, you'll see they have charts showing the trend that how these advantages have moved. They have a variety of issues here and that most of the move has been in favor of Democrats. And they don't always ask the same list in every poll. So it's you have to look at tables rather than charts. But um, that's one where there's been a real flip from the last time they asked it in January of 2013, where um, Republicans had a plus six advantage until now having this Democratic plus eight advantage. 14 point swing. Yeah, that's a pretty big swing. And there are some other things here, too. If you look at, for example, gun policy, which is the number two on the list of and in, the, in terms of advantages for Republicans, R plus five, who would you trust more? But that's actually a big switch, too, because it was R plus 12 in 2015, so not that long ago. So there's been a big move there, too. Um, and some of these uh, more Democratic core issues like the environment and education have also seen some even you know more strengthening of the Democrats' uh, position, abortion and contraception, health care, et cetera. Um, yeah, economy is the only one where you really see Republicans pick up any ground compared to sort of the earliest data point. And there it went from being D plus three to R plus three. But that that's not a huge – I mean that's barely – It's not as big of a swing as some of these other no, dimensions. No, not at all. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess terrorism, there's been no change. So that was December of 2015. It was R plus two. Then it shrunk a little bit. Now it's back up to R plus two, I guess. So, so there, there's that. Um, but 
you know, the other thing, though, to remember, I mean, this stuff is good news for Democrats, obviously better to have these numbers than to not have these numbers. On the other hand, Democrats often have the advantage on a lot of different issues. And we can, you know, take these poll numbers to bed and feel good about ourselves and pat ourselves on the back. And, and certainly I, I've, I've seen this phenomenon where people are like, well, we have the advantage on X, Y, and Z. That doesn't necessarily translate into anything. You know, that's all well and good. But we, you know, if you, if you can't translate that to votes at, at any level of government, then it's, you know, kind of, um, it's a cold comfort, right? So, um, so, but it's obviously if it's the sign of good news for Democrats and over the cycle, then, you know, that's great. Um, uh, on the other hand, one thing that I think is important to acknowledge is this worry about division and government dysfunction. Um, Gallup has shown, and we've talked about this before, they've been showing it now for a while, this worry about uh, government uh, government dysfunction and that it's considered the most uh, important problem, the biggest problem facing the country today, more than the economy, more than immigration, more than health care. And uh, in past years, Government dysfunction's been tied or maybe one. Now it's very clearly the number one issue. 21% say that's the most important problem facing the country compared to nine, eight, and eight for healthcare, immigration, and the economy, respectively. And you add to that the fact that you have a lot of Republicans in particular, but some Democrats feeling that their own parties are divided. Forget about the other party, their own parties are divided. Um, that's from Pew, from the Pew study we were just talking about. I mean, that's, you know, this is the, this toxicity is pretty, is pretty pervasive. Well, one of the things that people, uh, gets people to think maybe they're not as crazy about the government, at least temporarily, is the moment when you file your taxes. And it is tax time, and we have plenty of polling about how people think about taxes. So NPR has done, um, has taken a look at some some polling on this topic. Uh, Margie, what did they find? So they asked they asked a few questions. I love these questions that pollsters do sometimes where they say, you know, do, what do you think is true? And then in the release it has, you know, correct answer over here, right? So <laughs> Which that that can be a troll poll depending on how you execute it. True. I think I think they stayed on the right side of the troll poll line here, but True. So they had some questions about perceptions of taxes, but also these sort of true or false questions. So one of the true or false, for the highest earners, the percent of federal income taxes they pay now is higher than it was in 1980. And there there aren't a lot of differences by party here. About overall, 44% say that's true. Um, Republicans are a little bit more likely to say that than Democrats. It's not massive. It's not as massive of a partisan divide as you usually see for some questions. But the correct answer is false and, and fewer say. I'm surprised Republicans. Don't you remember Reagan cut taxes? That was a whole thing. That's yeah. a big reason why you love him. Why I love him. <laughs> Never forget, man. Yeah, but you know, people <laughs> but people are always thinking that taxes go up, right? So yes. there's just always this, you know, taxes go up, crime goes up. People's things... minds would be blown if they knew what the tax rates were in like 1960. Yeah. Yeah. So um so that's so that's one thing that they asked. That so they have a similar one. True or false, 75% of the federal government's revenue comes from personal income taxes. Um about half and there's almost no difference at all by parties about over about half say yeah that's true about a quarter say the correct answer which is that's false and another quarter say you know what i don't really know as opposed to just guessing they say uh i don't know so that's another good true false one but they also tested some like messaging kinds of questions well i mean it's almost how you would test a message i kind of subtweeted uh frank luntz here with this question so they asked 
the blank should be abolished. So they asked some, or I guess maybe they asked this of everybody, the estate tax should be abolished. They also asked, should the death tax be abolished? Death tax being, I believe, a, a Frank Luntzism. Um And more people, including Democrats, although not a whole lot of difference from Republicans, but Democrats were very much sensitive to this question warning, say the death tax should be abolished, maybe not the estate tax. Yeah, this is it's funny because this words that work gap you see here, it actually doesn't exist that much for Republicans, a little bit for independents, but it's it's on Democrats is where most right. of the because estates, that sounds like something you should be taxing. Right. And it sounds Go get the fancy, it fancy, sounds fancy. They should have to pay taxes. On Not that. everybody has an estate. Everybody or at least that's the perception. Everybody has a death. Right. So, so that's um. so anyway, so that's fact check true. <laughs> death and taxes. Um, so anyway, so that's so that was from NPR. And then Gallup has some questions about uh, how much people pay uh, in taxes. Do you think middle income people pay their fair share, lower income people pay their fair share or too much or too little upper income? What about corporations? And here people think that middle income – I mean I guess that, you know middle income and lower income, most people feel or about half feel they're paying too much. But people feel that upper income and corporations are paying too little uh, in taxes. And that's fairly consistent. There haven't been dramatic changes there. Maybe a few, a little bit of an increase in people feeling that middle income and lower income folks are paying uh, too much over the past few years. But it's not – Massive. It doesn't surprise me that you see more people saying the middle class pays too much instead of people who are lower income because more people think they are middle class right. and are therefore more likely to say, I feel like I'm paying too much, I'm taking too much out of my pocket and it's going to those rich corporations and those son of a guns on Wall Street or it's going – to pay for people that are sort of less well off than me and that's taking it out of my pocket and I earned it. Right, right. And then Pew has a similar question on this or it's a little bit different because that's how much people are bothered by it, which is a different dimension. So they, but same kinds of questions that are they bothered a lot, some or not much um, by corporations not paying their fair share or wealthy people not paying their fair share, the amount you pay. And that poor people don't pay their fair share. And people are most bothered by corporations and wealthy people, less bothered by poor people or their own amount um, that they pay in taxes. And, you know, a pretty mixed amount, say they're worried about the complexity of the tax system. So, you know, it's still, however it's asked, it's still pretty clear that people are more worried about the wealthy and corporations and how much they pay than about their own or the middle class or what, or the burden that the poor pay in taxes. That seems to be consistent. Uh, one of the things that always strikes me is that you will be hard pressed to find an elected Republican who will say, the wealthy should pay more. Corporations should pay more. They're not paying their fair share. You'll find very few, if any, Republican policymakers taking that position. So it is striking that you have uh, at times majorities or near majorities of Republican voters holding that view and that sort of disconnect between the leaders who have clearly not effectively made the case for why they believe that particular thing about taxes to their own voters. Yes. So Pew shows a party breakout and Democrats for sure are wildly more bothered by this. And it's of all the tax questions that they ask, you see the biggest partisan divide on corporations of the wealthy and their tax burden between D and R uh, respondents. But yeah, you still have, you know, 40 to 44 percent of Republicans saying that they're bothered a lot by this. So, you know, that's something 
that's a, a pain point for Republicans. Um, it still makes for a kind of sticky, dense campaign exchange, in my view. Um, but it is something that, you know, is obviously a perennial partisan conversation. Uh, so I think la- the next topic we were going to move on to was the French election, uh, where taxes are now a big piece of that puzzle. You had uh, one of the candidates. I think we we described the overall landscape of the French election, but you have the who you can sort of call the Bernie Sanders of this election, whose name I'm going to butcher, uh, Mélenchon. Did I get it right? That I sounds think good. You, you speak French, well, right? I, I took some French you, in so, high school. So, okay. Mélenchon you, seems right. I'll, I'll defer these things to you. He came out and basically said he would be okay with doing a 100% income tax at a certain level. And if people wanted to move away, then that was fine. And so this is – I remember the last French presidential election when Francois Hollande, the current president from the Socialist Party, said he wanted like a 75% tax at the top or something really, really high. And people said they were going to move and he's very unpopular. So it's fascinating to me that there's now the surging popularity for a candidate who takes an even bolder, more extreme view on on this sort of thing. So in the French presidential election about a month or two ago, it seemed pretty clear that Emmanuel Macron, the sort of centrist, technocratic type guy, would be in the runoff along with Marine Le Pen, the populist, nationalist, anti-EU, anti-immigrant candidate running um, as the candidate of the National Front, that Francois Fillon and uh, was he is the sort of center-right establishment party candidate. He had been struggling due to some scandals around um, his wife uh, having getting money for a job from the government. It was a uh, who among us? Who, uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's all, all sorts of all sorts of festive scandal. Right. Um, scandal, not just for American politics. Right. Right. Um, but. Uh, the left did not really have a candidate in the mix because you had two candidates from the left that were splitting that vote. Um, that appears to no longer really be the case. Hamon, who is the uh, candidate who is from uh, Francois Hollande's Socialist Party, which is despite the name Socialist Party, it is like the center left, mainstream left party in France. Um, he has has really fallen off in the polls as Mélenchon has sort of gathered up the energy from the left behind him. And so now this is crazy. These this The polling average I'm looking at here has Macron at 24, Le Pen at 23, and Fillon at 19, and Mélenchon at, four, at 19. So this is what should give pollsters and poll watchers some heartburn because this, this is, is really close. Yeah. And if if the final round involves, say, Le Pen and Mélenchon, then like that's that's not something the polls are showing right now, though, if you are a sophisticated consumer of public opinion data, you know, there is uncertainty and margins of error and things built in. And so nobody should be looking at this data and saying, oh, well, the polls say that it's going to be Macron and Le Pen in the final round because they're just it's very close. Yeah, this is I mean, the difference between 24, 23, 19 and 19 in these averages is like, I mean, that's a nail biter. Um, but what seems to be clear is that if there's the runoff that you have Le Pen, whoever she's up against, will have a harder time in the two way that she may be the fr- she may end up winning the multi candidate race, but in the runoff does she end is she at a disadvantage? Now that said. We don't know how things change when you win. Do you get a bounce just from being the winner, right? So does mm-hmm. that change things where now people are like, oh, well, she can actually win. So maybe, you know, I'm going to support her. We don't know. That's that's TBD. But 
this will be a nail bright a nail biter which at, at some level you whatever whatever your poll shows unless it shows Hamon as winning you're pro- you're probably in some safe territory margin of error kind of territory um uh, in terms of the 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 first the first round, but we will see because it is coming up very soon. So there was a I, I saw somebody who I follow on Twitter post a Twitter poll asking for people to predict what they thought the final round matchup would be, but instead of having the names of the candidates used emojis emoji <laughs> I still don't know what the plural is because I guess a story had broken about how. Maybe it was about like Steve Bannon using the globe emoji as like a symbol for like glo- globalists, establishment, whatever. So the poll was, is the final round in the French election going to be globe versus globe, which I assume would be like Fion versus Macron? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be globe versus uh, and then it was like a like the blonde lady raising her hand emoji? Like, right, so is right. it going to be like Macron versus Le Pen right. or – um, oh, and then I think it had a French flag next to the the blonde lady, right? Her okay, hand. and I forget what the emoji was for Melanchon. I uh, I think it was something. Oh no, it was the Soviet flag. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it was because it took That's me a good. second to be like, it was the or will it will it be blonde lady French flag versus Soviet flag or will it be globe versus Soviet flag? And this was the. That's good. Who's got time to find the best emoji for? I feel like that's actually pretty good. No, I'll that's good. No, I enjoy <laughs> the effort of others. I just simply the thought of <laughs> devoting, you know, time I don't have for, you know, for the perf- for emoji curation. We got to learn really... how to use emoji for polling purposes, Margie. This is our beat. Yeah, one day my children will only want to speak to me in emoji, so I better get on board. <laughs> It'll be, no, when, when we move beyond IVR and everybody is taking polls by text message. And we can, instead of just saying press one for yes or two for no, you can respond with the full range of emojis. I remember making Hmm. fun of the Clinton campaign when they did that whole explain how you feel about your student loan debt in three emojis (laughs) thing back at the beginning of the campaign. But that may be the future we're headed to. That may be our dystopian polling future. Yeah. Well, all right. I guess that (laughs) makes coding a little easier, I suppose. Um, Okay. So now – Driverless cars. So first of all, before we dive into this, I have to say – so I'm a huge fan of the Fast and Furious franchise. And I I uh, appeared as a guest on a podcast with my friend Mary Catherine uh, late last week. If you're looking for a supplement to the pollsters uh, and want to go grab this episode, it's Mary Catherine Ham and I talking on the Federalist Radio Hour for an hour at least, I think, about um, – well, it is. It's called the Federalist Radio Hour, I assume, at the end of the day. It's – an hour. Right. <laughs> Give um, or take. Discussing the Fast and Furious franchise. So the most recent Fast and Furious film, Fate of the Furious, F8-8. It's the eighth film. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, they, uh, in one of the big action sequences, and I'm not spoiling anything by saying this, uh, driverless cars or car automated self-driving technology is used by the bad guy, Charlize Theron. To cause havoc, and this got me thinking: Is this this is? I think the first Charlize time... Theron, the actress, is the oh yeah, she's the in it as the bad guy. She oh, is. Good. Oh, she's okay, the good. villain. Oh good, she's That's the fun. villain, and she she does her best with what she's given. <laughs> and I say this as someone who loves this franchise deeply, but. It's not my favorite villain, and it's not her fault at all. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so. She, 
at any rate, I, I feel I wonder if this is the first time that self-driving cars have been portrayed in a major pop culture way as being a bad thing. I mean, they cannot come here fast enough as far as I'm concerned. Like <laughs> I would I would take one this afternoon if I could. Like that is how much I want a driverless car, even though according to the polling that was in the Washington Post by the Consumer Technology Association, it looks like women are a little bit less excited about driverless cars are more likely to feel less safe sharing the road with a self-driving vehicle than men. Well, I think this what's interesting mm. about this story is there are a couple different polls on this topic and they are all over the place. Yeah. And so you have on the one hand the Consumer Technology Association, which is a sort of a lobbying group here in Washington um, that works with a lot of different tech companies. So they put out a survey last year. This is the one in the Washington Post that we shared on our Facebook page where 70 percent of people said they had a strong interest in test driving a self-driving car. 62 percent would be interested in replacing their current car. Um, that a lot of people think that self-driving cars would reduce accidents because you'd have less aggressive driving, less drunk driving. Um, but then University of Michigan did a survey that found kind of the opposite in some ways. They only found that 16 percent of people were agreeable to having completely self-driving cars. This 46 percent didn't want any self-driving features. Um, that more than 90 percent wanted a vehicle that could still in some way be equipped with a steering wheel and pedals, even if it had the ability. So like the University of Michigan study <laughs> That's funny. shows a lot more apprehension and people still wanting to kind of hang on to control more where the Consumer Technology Association survey shows everybody loves this. Let's move to the self-driving cars. Yes. Well, I want that. I, I mean, think about like, you know, kids dr learning to drive and all of that, like all of the hassle of driving just removed completely, like magic. You just get in a pod like it's the Jetsons or I something. cannot wait. Although I think in the Jetsons, they didn't just get in pods. I think he still had to drive. He still had the little Jetsons Yeah, car. I think he still had a – yeah, I think he said the little, the little robot – Flying thing. Okay, so key findings. Pollsters take a bow, smoke them if you got them, and celebrate calling something correctly in Georgia, but start packing because you got to get ready for a French election bender. And if trends continue, driverless cars will be here in time for the national legalization of marijuana. Somebody is finally using their brains around here. <laughs> and good thing that ultimate buzzkill is in our rear view mirror, and that's tax time. Meanwhile, there's, you know, maybe there's a race to the bottom of Trump's numbers or views toward the government. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters. Individually, we're at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis Anderson. Find us at www.thepolsters.com where you can find links to all of our polling resources that we think are fascinating. Also, make sure you follow us on Facebook where we'll post links to stories that we might be chatting about in the upcoming week. If you haven't done so yet and you love us, we would love to hear from you. Make sure that you post a review or if you'd like to troll us about our opinion on something. We're either also way. totally amenable to that. We like hearing from you either way. Um, so send us a tweet, send us a note, uh, and write a review. Tell your friends. We really appreciate it. Bye. Thanks. A Westwood One podcast production. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.